Hello everyone and welcome to episode three of the second series of the Nature Friendly Farming Network podcast. My name's Will Evans and my name's Ben Eagle and today we're heading over to the very north coast of Northern Ireland to talk to a first generation farmer with a very diverse farming enterprise indeed and we're really excited to learn all about it. Charlie Cole, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Good evening, thank you very much for having me. So. Oh, it's great to have you here. Charlie, for people who don't know the part of the world where you farm, um, tell us about it. What's the landscape and the environment? What's it like there? Yeah, so we farm just outside Ballycastle, uh, a place called Ballantoy. We're about two miles inland uh, and uh, not too far from Bushmills. So uh, fabulous whiskey just down the road as well. Yeah, big fan nice. of Bushmills. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's quite quite a windswept area, um, being two miles from the coast, very, very open and barren. Uh, the wife, uh, Becky, sort of says it's very Nordic almost, you know. Uh, okay. so, yeah, no, but beautiful part of the world um, and like stunning coastline, the, 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 the Causeway Coast, as it's called. So world famous. So no, stunning. Brilliant. So um, we mentioned in the intro that you're a first generation farmer. Uh, are your family from the area? Uh, so my mum is from about five miles down the road. She, she's Bushmills, born and bred. Okay. Uh, and then my dad is uh, English, although he thinks himself a Scotsman. Uh, so <laughs> it was, yeah, it's it's a weird one. He he was in a Scottish regiment, so he he, he uh, very much okay. he's a Scotsman. Um, so uh, he he met mum, travelled all over the world, uh, and we were um put into boarding school over in england hence hence the accents um so yeah um and then uh, i came back here uh, after college so so how did you get into farming um because although first generation farmers are, are perhaps becoming more common in the industry it's still relatively unusual yeah so despite my parents um sort of background mum would have been the son of a or, sorry the daughter of a farmer uh, and then dad's family, uh, he's got two sisters and they would have both married farmers as well. So, you know, it's always been there in the background. We were always sort of brought up living on farms. We we just never had one of our own. Um, and we were very lucky. Mum and dad uh, bought the farm here. Uh, and that gave us the opportunity then to to come home and run that. So, yeah. And do you think that gives you a slightly different way of looking things, not having come from a farming background or growing up yeah. on a farm? It gave us a blank canvas for sure. Um, and definitely we, we maybe look on it with different eyes to someone who had been sort of stuck to whatever was there before and, and they've just continued it on. Okay, let's uh, hear more about the business that you're running there. It is a mixed farm, but you specialise in kid goat and rose veal, right? That sounds really interesting. How did it initially come about and, and how does it all work? Yeah, I suppose uh, when we first sort of came home, uh, mum and dad bought the place to sort of live um, live out the good life and that sort of sustainable living concept. Uh, and sustainability was always at the heart of our ethos. So they, well, I had helped my uncle build my parents a eco-friendly house. So there was that sort of eco-credentials from the very start. Um, and I suppose when I came home to look at the farming, I wanted to continue that and sustainability was a big buzzword in the sort of the living side of life and I was like well look you know like the farm has to be sustainable too um you know what could we do um and as a a sort of first-time farmer that sort of entry level was difficult you know finding the money to to the capital to raise to to invest in farming 
And we, we discovered that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the dairy farms were having to put down uh, bull calves and kid goats, uh, male kid goats. And we thought, look, this is a perfect thing we could do. It's, it's uh, hopefully a low entry cost to get into um, and we can make a real difference. And for us, we felt that as a small farm, we're only 50 acres, we can make a bigger difference rearing these uh, orphan calves and goats than we could uh, becoming an organic farm or something like that. So that yeah. was our, our theory. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know much about goats, um, but it does seem that it, it really does seem to be coming back into favour these days um, with some very high-profile chefs um, extolling its virtues. Do you think its resurgence is, is only going to increase? Is, is this the beginning of something bigger for goat? Yeah, I think like it's it's a fascinating history, and and there's an amazing uh, chef over in England, um, James Wetlaw, who's uh, produced a cookbook called yeah. Goats. Um, you know, he would be supplying a lot of the top end London restaurants when they're yeah. open, um, and actually, I think a few of them sort of started supplying direct um, in in the current climate. Um, but he's got an amazing history that he does, where you know, pre sheep and the enclosures, you know, every farmer in England had a goat because yeah. you got your milk and you got your meat from it. Um, and then it was only the wool trade that really sort of pushed in uh, sheep. So um, the way we're farming them now, it, it tends to be more European uh, style goats. They are predominantly housed um, because, you know, they're, they're not built to, to stand, particularly the Northern Irish climate. Um, and I think for as long as there'll be demand for a dairy milk alternative for health reasons. You know, a lot of people are allergic to, to, to cow's milk um, or intolerant even, um, or even goat's cheeses. You know, so long as there's a demand on that aspect, there will always be an issue with the Billy Kids. Culturally, we don't eat it. Um, although if I was to speak to some of the elder farmers up in the glens here, uh, they would remember as kids, they would have always had a nanny goat on the farm to yeah. rear orphan lambs. Um, and they remember eating then the, the Billy kids as well. Um, so it's always been there. It's It's been a long time since it's been a mainstream meat, but I think so long as we're milking them, then we need to be consuming uh, the meat as well. Um, it's it's important. Yeah. I, I, had, a, I had an amazing um, goat curry in a restaurant in London. Um, a lot, well, before, well, while we could, before coronavirus, and we could, <laughs> when, we, when you could do these things. <laughs> back, in, back in the dark ages, yeah, when restaurants? we could travel around. It was all these things. Yeah, it, it, was, it was amazing, though. It, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I was, oh, I'll, I'll give that a try and see what it's like. And it, it was beautiful. It was so good. Yeah, everyone always expects it to be really sort of uh, strong in taste, really gamey. Yeah. But it really isn't. I mean, if there was ever a meat that was designed to be eaten over a fire, mm. goat definitely that. And if you do like a, a sort of Argentinian style asado, the yeah. flavour that comes off goat meat is unbelievable. It's just so good. Oh man, God, <laughs> what what a thought that is. Um, was it always um, the plan to have that vertically integrated system? You know, where, where you're selling to consumers directly, and and what are the what have been the benefits for that for you as as opposed to selling into the open market yeah i suppose um i, I went to uni over in england um you know the better one will you know uh so uh, <laughs> oh did you go to science Esther? oh that's disappointing <laughs> <laughs> that's disappointing <laughs> I, I, I did my I, I usually keep that bit about my history quiet 
um, so yeah, no, I did did three years there, and when I came home, I was coming there with this maybe quite anglified perspective as yep. to marketing. So you know, I needed unique selling points, mm-hmm. um, and I thought that goat would be fantastic, unique selling point. I go straight into the restaurants, and I'd be able to sell it, um, and that would be my supply chain sorted wash my hands of it after farm gate nice and easy um but no it's a different marketplace over here um it was a lot more complicated and i really had to get people uh enthused about it and trying it um and it sort of just naturally ended up with us getting further and further into the food chain and to be honest i think that is the best thing that could ever have happened to the farm Mm. um i think there is so much wrong with the food supply chain uh and the by us integrating the way we have, we've really been able to create the change that we want to see, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And how important to your customers is the way that you farm? Because you are very environmentally focused, as we'll come on to in a minute. Um, is that one of the big selling points for you and for your customers? I think this is basically one of the benefits of being vertically integrated and you know it sounds like a big word that but literally we're at farmers markets and we have a farm shop so we have direct customer interaction every day Mm. and the result of that is you know what the customer wants and when they say they want something and you say well this is what it would take you can have that discussion and you can sort of meet in the middle when it comes to pricing and you know what you can actually do in the context of a northern ireland farm um, and I think definitely the environment in the last five years has really come to the forefront. I mean, we put up the concept of forward thinking farming, which is our uh, tagline right back when we started 10 years ago. Uh, and back then it was just the concept of food waste. And it was the fact that these billy kids and uh, bull calves would otherwise be put down. And that was the ethical and environmental opinion that we had or that we were trying to fix. And now, 10 years later, it's amazing to see how much more the customer is interested in and mm-hmm. how much more they expect from their products. And that's not something that's delivered in the supermarket. So, yeah. yeah. So, 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 I mean, tell us what you're doing for nature on the farm, Charlie. Yeah, so um, when we bought the farm, uh, uh, the farmer before us had uh, very bad arthritis and he'd sort of left it on the concept um that the tenants would fix the uh, fences in return for their rent uh, or their con acre. Uh, that didn't materialise and he couldn't check it. So uh, when we bought the farm, there's 50 acres and I'd say it was fenced into two paddocks. Uh, all of the internal walls, uh, ditches, um, hedges had just been sort of rough shot over, all filled in, um, the hedges destroyed. Um, you know, it, it, it was still a beautiful, magical place. You could really see the sort of potential it would have. Um, and I suppose over the last 10 years, we've really concentrated on putting back in all those small um, little field boundaries. Um, every field uh, or every fence now has a hedge on it, um, which is great. I mean, this year is, or this Christmas just gone, we finished that. So everything's been planted up with hedgerows now. Uh, we've planted well over 10% of the farm in trees, anything which just wasn't worth farming. Uh, that's all been planted up um and we've been in two agri-environment schemes so some of the tree planting has been done through that uh the last agri-environment scheme we just got all our riparian waterways fenced off um so yeah it's been a lot of hard work but 
I think the next 10 years are going to be fantastic because we can really start to see the, the work coming yeah. to fruition. Yeah. So also as we've been going, we've been sort of looking at the way we farm uh, on a day-to-day basis rather than just the bigger sort of infrastructural projects. Um, and we started to integrate herbal lays into the, into the farm. So as we're sort of repairing fields, um, we've been then reseeding with herbal lays. Uh, and that was more... I mean, I suppose the, the focus I came into that from was with the goats because, you know, they're not traditional grazers, they're browsers. Uh, and when we started farming them, I was like, look, I want to get these guys outside on the grass. Mm. It's what the customers want. It's what I want to see. Um, so we started looking at different sort of species of grass they'd eat and got into the herbal lay rabbit hole, Cotswold seeds, regenerative agriculture, and it all started to click. And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the last five years have been sort of like... Um, uh, playing playing with that rabbit hole, I suppose. Um, and uh, yeah, started growing veg um, for the farm shop as well. So we've integrated that into the rotation. Um, playing around with sort of growing peas in a bit of cereal, but I'm, I'm a novice to all of this and I've made some big mistakes in the last year on that front. But uh, yeah. <laughs> rest, assured, rest assured that, uh, um, I mean, I, I suppose I'm not a novice. I'm a lifelong farmer and I make as big a mistakes as anybody and I'm sure Ben does as well. <laughs> um, okay, I, I, I've, I've waited long enough. I, I love the idea of agroforestry. I get very excited by it and I've been reading a lot about it lately. Um, tell us about the agroforestry project that, that you've started and what your plans are for it yeah so um i suppose if you look at like farming traditionally in ireland we do have very small patchworks of fields and i suppose agroforestry is more of a big thing in mainland europe where the field is huge or sort of uh, east anglia there as well where it makes a bit more sense but we've got two fields on the farm which are very big um and i just felt we could do something better with them. Uh, they're two big silage fields. Um, and I thought, right, I, I want to, I want to see what this agroforestry malarkey is all about really. Um, so I was looking at it and we've got a farm shop and cafe and I knew that whatever we did, we would be able to, to, uh, create a product out of. Um, so we've gone for this sort of hybrid concept of, uh, Wakelands meets, um, Stephen Briggs and Rich Perkins mm-hmm. as an inspiration. And, it's basically 20 meter um, field trams, uh, tram lines. Then we've got a three meter wildflower strip. And in that we're planting apple trees uh, or plums or pears. And they're separated by about five meters on sort of south facing lines. Uh, and in between the apple trees, we're then planting an understory of uh, gooseberries, red currants, uh, raspberries, uh, everything. So, wow. uh, it should be pretty impressive. Uh, Brexit has uh, yeah, messed it all up a bit with the supply of trees. Um, unfortunately, uh, photosanitary requirements weren't, weren't in the planning stage when I was uh, getting my head around it all. Um, but uh, well, it'll, it'll hopefully get planted before the spring. Um, I just need a few more trees to fill the gaps. That's really exciting. So uh, mm. is, the, is the plan to sell the fruit in, in the shop? Yeah, so the plan is, is that it'll sort of be semi pick your own yep. meat i go through and clean up my my grandmother used to run a pick your own and she said the, the problem was people didn't know how to pick fruit <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, a bed of strawberries you'd have to go through after them to clear them because otherwise they're trap pests or whatever so yeah 
pick your own, then we go through, harvest it, and then we can sell them in the shop. Uh, and then if we're struggling to shift something, we can create a product that will sell. Um, and that's the advantage again of having the farm shop is yeah. growing the vegetables. You know, some people might not want carrots or parsnips when they're in season, but actually you can make a chutney or you can make a, a jam and you can extend your season by another two years. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it all, um, it all, all comes together. That's awesome. So cool. Okay. Um, in this series, we're, we're focusing on climate and how nature friendly farming can help to tackle the climate crisis. If you had to pick one thing that you're doing that makes your business more climate resilient, um, what would that be? I think in terms of resilience, it would probably be that mixed farming concept. You know, there's, uh, don't have all your eggs in one basket, as it were. Um, there, there's so many different projects going there. and we're, it, It's complicated because you've got to stack them all so you're not running around like a headless chicken. Although, uh, as you know, by me trying to walk around, <laughs> I'm running around like a headless chicken. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like as you make something more efficient, you free up some time. And you're like, what should I put into that bit of time that I've freed up to to keep the farm going yeah. or to, to bring it to the next level? Um, and I think that diversity is going to be the resilience that we need. And like nature is diverse. So, you know, we should be farming in, yep. in a diverse manner. So um, we need to be stacking enterprise, adding complexity into the systems. Um, if I was just to choose one concept, I, I think the agroforestry concept, uh, is, is going to be amazing. Uh, I really do. I can't see it having any implications to the business. Um, like I say, the rest of the farm is already divided into those small fields. Yeah. And that is sort of an agro, you know, agroforestry concept. You're, you know, like, well, what's the most biodiverse place, you know, on a planet? It's a woodland edge. So if you can integrate those woodland edges into the middle of a field, you're adding biodiversity. And you know, if that's all carbon, it's it's all good. So mm. yeah, that's my theory. Yeah. I mean, from everything we're hearing, you and NWFN, you're pretty much made for each other. I mean, if you were if you were at the altar right now, you you would just be <laughs> you would just be getting hitched. How how did you first get involved? Um, I suppose uh the first time I got involved, we, we would have always been quite open to um, having a lot of people up onto the farm. We'd have taken part in open farm weekend, all that side of things. We always tried to get the RSPB up to, to have a spot and talk about what we had on the farm. Uh, we've got some fantastic uh, species rich grassland up in the um, top of the farm that we've always maintained for, for biodiversity. Um, and I suppose through talking with the uh, RSPB, we heard about the NFFN coming on board or being created and we were like, yes, that, that, that sounds like the perfect match. So yeah, that's, that's how it all got started. And what benefits have you seen from being a member? I mean, I guess a big part is having that network of like-minded people to bounce ideas off, get advice. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Being able to talk to other people about what we're doing, seeing what they're doing, chat about different ideas. Uh, it really has been fantastic. Um, the other side of things is like we're in a moment of big change at the moment and being able to have a voice uh, when it comes to that change um, is, is fantastic. And farmers are always seen as the enemy of nature. You know, we're, we're always on the opposite ends of the, the, the balance and the NFFN, maybe it's, it's not a peace branch, but it's bringing us together and it's yeah. showing the benefits that farmers can provide to nature and that actually like, 
we're not stupid. It's like we don't want to shit on our own doorsteps. Like, you know, farming yeah. requires nature to work. It's it's a three-legged stool. It's it's not just about chemicals and the underlying soils. There's biology there. We know that. We want to make it work. But so often as farmers, you know, we're the price takers and we're just doing what we're told because mm. we've got to make a living. So mm. yeah. Okay, Charlie, before we wrap this up, um, the big question that we ask every guest, of all the species that you see on your farm, plants, birds, mammals, insects, whatever it may be, um, which is your favourite? And I'm really interested about it because you're so close to the coast and I, I wonder whether that will play a part. So, yeah, excited yeah, to hear your answer. I was chatting to Becky about this earlier and she says my, my answer is really boring. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think the humbled wagtail. Uh, okay. Um, He's always there and he's, yeah. you know, brings his mate along. And to me, like, that's a perfect example of how we work with nature. Like, yeah. you know, I'm doing a job on the farm. He's there and he's, he's, he wants a bit of whatever I uproot. Or, <laughs> you know, it's like that beautiful symbiotic relationship that we have with yeah. another animal. Um, now, I can't downplay what we have on the farm. Like, you know, we've got red deer. We've got well, the apple trees don't like the red deer, but that's another <laughs> story. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. <laughs> yeah. um, like, there's fantastic nature here, but I think just the wagtail, he's, he's pretty cool. That's an awesome answer. I don't think that's boring at all. Fantastic answer. Um, Charlie, thanks so much for finding the time to talk to us. For people listening, uh, you are very busy with kidding at the moment. So uh, we do appreciate you taking the time. And uh, it's been fantastic to hear about everything you're doing there. I'm really full of admiration for everything you're doing. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening as well. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the NWFN podcast. Please spread the word on social media. And if you get a chance, rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. As it really is a very big help. Um, the podcast is out every other Wednesday, so please let us know if there's anything you want to hear about specifically in the nature-friendly farming world, anything you want us to ask guests. Um, but in the meantime, stay safe, and we hope to see you all next time. <laughs>